Good evening, brethren. The Corinthian church had many problems and ideas. Paul, in, in his letter uh, to the Corinthians, addresses many of the ideas causing division in the church. Um, they ranged from not dealing with a fornicator in church, to taking each other to law, to judging one another, uh, different marriage issues, uh, the way they treated those that were weak in the faith, um, addressing proper conduct in services, uh, how to handle different gifts because it was a church that had many gifts and uh, how to use them. And, uh, and now he gets to a point where uh, some were even saying that there is no resurrection. So that's where we are in chapter 15 of first corinthians which uh, is an issue or, or the subject there is about the resurrection of the dead and this is an absolutely key and important component of our faith it's of prime importance and so in in the first few verses uh, of uh, corinthians 15 uh, Paul says, I've preached to you um, the, the good news of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ uh, by which we are saved. And, uh, and then he says, it was prophesied that you would die and you would be buried and that you would raise. And uh, this was witnessed by many, many brethren. Uh, he mentions a number of brethren all the way up to, at a time, uh, as we know, as many as 5,000 at one time. So, uh, I beg your pardon, 500 at one time. So, uh, uh, we, we know that this is a fact. It was well evidenced with eyewitnesses. It's a solid fact. So, now uh, we're going to go on to verse 9 because uh, that's where we stopped last time in verse 8. And then uh, Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles, because he said, you know, the, this was witnessed by, by the 12 and by uh, all the apostles. And he says, but last of all was seen by me as one born out of time, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then he goes on, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, and his grace toward me was not in vain. So he was a man that worked hard. Uh, he was a hard worker. And he says, for I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet, not I, but by the grace of God, which was given me. So it's not me, but God has opened doors, has given me strength, has helped me to be able to do things. And, uh, and to the point that he even worked without taking tithes. And so that nobody would accuse him that he was uh, living off other people, particularly there in Corinth. So then he continues, therefore, verse 11, whether it was I or they, 
So whether it was me that has preached the gospel or any other that has come and preached the gospel, because right at the beginning it says one, one uh, plants, the other waters, but it's God that gives the growth. So whichever one was, so we preach, and so you believed. So whichever one of us, whether it was Paul or Apollos or whatever, we all have done our bit, and you have believed so regardless of whom we preach the gospel and uh, and then he goes on in uh, verse 12 and he says now if christ is preached that he has been risen raised from the dead how do some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead you see that's that's the reason of this section of this chapter uh, again, it's it's a, a corrective uh, section, correcting their ideas. And their ideas were saying, well, uh, there's no resurrection. Uh, uh, there's no resurrection. There's no resurrection of the dead. And, and he just finished referring to a number of eyewitnesses, a large number of eyewitnesses. And therefore... It's not just a doctrine or a belief. It's a fact. It's a fact that Jesus Christ had resurrected from the dead because there were many eyewitnesses there and some of them were still alive amongst them. So how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this is pertinent in a sense to, to today because people come out with different ideas. Uh, whatever ideas people may come up and again he is here saying listen don't allow these ideas to filter in the church and later on he's saying be careful don't be infected or affected by these people of these ideas because it will affect you uh, that's that's what he says in verse 33 for instance don't be deceived evil company corrupts bad habits so uh, uh, be careful with these uh, wrong ideas and uh, people with these ideas that are going to affect you so uh, so he, he is saying uh, giving out to us also a principle that uh, we have to be well grounded in the truth but specifically He's now talking about the resurrection, and he wants us all to understand clearly there is a resurrection. And so, um, and, and in a sense, it was ideas that most probably came from Gnosticism, uh, saying that Jesus didn't come in the flesh, and therefore uh, a resurrection from the flesh was uh, something that Gnostics, I'm not saying that was the case, but could have been a Gnostic uh, idea there. In fact, there were even other ideas that creeped into the church uh, over time. If you look at Second Timothy uh, chapter 2, Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, we see another idea that crept in the church about, or, or crept in the church about the resurrection, and it says, uh, and who, some who have strayed from the truth, 
saying that the resurrection is already past. So some were saying, well, there's no resurrection. And yeah, Paul is writing to Timothy and says, well, some of you say, well, the resurrection has already happened. And they overthrow the faith of some. You see, so uh, various ideas do crop out. That's why uh, even in this section here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just two verses before that, starting uh, in verse 16, says, Shane, uh, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. And so we do see, and we have to be aware and sensitive to ideas that are incorrect. And he says, uh, and their message will spread like cancer. So this is a danger because these ideas, sometimes just a little bit and a little bit more, a little bit more, and it spreads like cancer. And so uh, we have to be very careful with that. Anyway, going back to 1 Corinthians 15, and uh, let's go on with verse 13. Now, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, now watch uh, Paul's very clear, uh, detailed, logical steps that he goes through. It's very clear, very detailed, logical steps. Look, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. Then Christ is not risen because there's no resurrection from the dead. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Then our preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ and what is open up the doors and this understanding, then our preaching is empty, is useless. And your faith, your, your faith in a resurrection is also useless, is also empty. <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, uh, it's uh, interesting to, to see his logic, but let's dig a little deeper, yeah, that in a sense he's saying it's not just Christ's death that saves us it's his resurrection you see because obviously they knew christ had died so the issue was the resurrection and so if there's no resurrection then our faith is empty in other words it's not just christ's death that saves us of course christ's death and his blood pays for our sins so he died so that our sins could be forgiven. But it is required for him to have resurrected. To prove that the sins have, to be, have been paid and paid for us. And, and not only that, and not only that, it is Jesus Christ living, living in us through God's Holy Spirit. Uh, because God's Holy Spirit gives us God's way of thinking, God's mind, puts us at one with him, and therefore is changing the way we think. As Peter puts it, puts it is the sanctification of the Spirit. First Peter 
1 verse 2. 1 Peter 1 verse 2. Let's just turn there because it says elect, talking to us, First uh, Peter 1 verse 2, saying elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. So God's Holy Spirit works with our minds, with our conscience, to lead us to obey, to put true godly love into practice, because keeping the commandments is the love of God. The love of God is the keeping of the commandments. So it's that sanctification, writing God's laws into our minds and into our brain and into our hearts, writing God's laws into us, that sanctification of the Spirit, that washing of the renewing of our minds as, as we read that in Titus uh, chapter 3, uh, it run about verse 4 and 5, it says, it's and verse 7, I think it's verse 7, it says the washing, it says washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is renewing, is helping us to change from the old man to the new man. And that is a washing process, a washing process through God's Holy Spirit. That's why God's Holy Spirit, in a sense, is symbolized as living water. So uh, the sanctification of the Spirit. So it's not just Christ's death, as we read here in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14, that saves us. Of course, Christ's death is an important part of that process, but it is this resurrection that he being resurrected, he gives us now the Holy Spirit, which is the helper that helps us to overcome. That is so important. And then he goes on in verse 15, yes, because he's saying in verse 13, if there's no resurrection, then he says 15, yes, we are found to be false witnesses because we are saying we've saw Christ. A number of you are still living and some of you uh, are aware of that. Uh, some of the people are still alive, are aware of that. You can go and talk to them. Um, so we are found to be false witnesses because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. So what Paul is saying is, if there is no resurrection, Christ is not risen, and our faith is in vain. But we are witnesses, uh, and a number of people that are still living, not saying there were people in Corinth, but the number of people are still living, that you can go and check with them, and they will say, yes, we saw Christ. So, uh, resurrected. So, if you're saying there's no resurrection, in other words, that Christ is not risen, then we are false witnesses. Right? So he says, we are false witnesses because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ. And because you say he did not raise, uh, then then we're false witnesses. Verse 16. For if the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. Yeah. So the logic is very clear, is very concise. 
verse 17, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. So he says, if Christ is not risen, our hope, all our faith is in vain, and our sins have not been forgiven. Our sins have not been forgiven because it's not only required for him to die, but him to be resurrected to pay for our sins. Then verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So those that are Christians that died in this faith, then they died in vain. And, you know, I mean, they, they, they don't have a hope. They don't have the hope of the resurrection. They don't have that hope. Uh, they've perished. They will not come back alive. Uh, verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we of all men, we are of all men the most pitiable. So we have a hope, a hope in the resurrection. If we only have hope in Christ and he died, and he didn't resurrect, then that hope is useless. We are most pitiable. We have hope not only because Christ died for our sins, because he was sinless, he gave his life for us, but he's alive. So he's paid for our sins. That is a proof that our sins have been paid. So that is very, very encouraging. And that's what the gospel is all about. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He died for our sins. He made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. He made it possible and he's making it possible for us to be reconciled to God. He is our high priest. He's interceding for us. And he's made it possible for us to receive God's Holy Spirit. And God's Holy Spirit helps us to overcome so you and I can have eternal life. So it is very important. It is crucial for us to really understand that there is a resurrection and that Christ resurrected. That is vital. Now, verse 20. But now Christ is risen from the dead. Fact. Christ is risen from the dead. Fact. And has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, as a matter of interest, the word first fruits in Greek uh, is actually in the singular. Uh, this word is actually in the singular. So, but <coughs> but the meaning is is the first fruits is the the first of those. First fruits is the first. What does that mean? Is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. Now it's important to understand because there are different types of first fruits. There's different types of first fruits. He is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he's the first one to be born into the family of God that was a human being. He's the first one 
that has taken that step is the, the pioneer, is the first that was a human being and now was born into the God family. He's the first of those who have fallen asleep. Look at Acts 26, verse 23. Acts 26, verse 23. Acts 26, verse 23. That the Christ would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead. You see, he's the first fruit, is the first to rise from the dead, is the first of those who have fallen asleep and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. So he's the first to rise from the dead. So in the context of being the first to rise from the dead, he is the first. He's the first. All right, so it's important for us to understand. So what do we have is verse 21, we continue. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. You and I know Adam and Eve sinned, and therefore by man came death. Since Adam and Eve, every human being has died. There is not one that has not died sooner or later. They all end up dying. That's why then it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 it says and as it is appointed for man to die once why because of sin because we've sinned so death entered into the world through one man Adam and Eve but after this the judgment after this, there will be a resurrection and there will be judgment. There will be judgment. So let's uh, continue. We've just finished reading verse 21 of First Corinthians 15. Let's go into verse 22. For as in Adam all die. Exactly. All human beings sooner or later die. Even so, in Christ, all shall be made alive. Every human being, every human being will live again. That's what it says. Every human being. What a hope of the resurrection, isn't it? It's a hope. That's why it says, you know, um, he says, we have a great hope. It's a hope. Because Christ died, he's opened up the way for all of us. He's redeemed us from death. Everyone, 
This is a great hope. This is the hope that we have of the resurrection. But then he goes on in verse 23. But each one in his own order. Yes, everyone will resurrect. But there is an order. Everything is done decently in order. There is an order. Christ, the first fruits. Again, in Greek, it's singular. Right? Christ, the first fruits. The first of those who have fallen asleep. Afterwards, those who are Christ's at his coming. It's very specific when the resurrection of those that are Christ's will be, will be at his coming. Which you and I know is symbolized by the day of trumpets. It's so plain. It's so plain. Afterwards, he says, those who are Christ's at his coming. In other words, the dead in Christ will resurrect at the last trump. And yeah, is a point about first fruits. Let's talk about different types of first fruits because it is important for us to understand because sometimes we look at the word first fruits and we say, well, they all mean the same thing. No, just because the word first fruits is used, it's not always referring to the same thing. Let me look at it. You and I are amongst the first to receive God's Holy Spirit. Mankind in general after Christ's coming, the re receiving God's Holy Spirit will be available to the whole of mankind. But today only to those few that God calls and that are chosen, that respond to that calling. And that what made available, starting from the day of Pentecost. Now, we do know there were a few people in the Old Testament that did receive the God's Holy Spirit as one, like Paul, uh, he says, as one born out of season. But um, the, he, uh, the, the giving of God's Holy Spirit was symbolized by the day of Pentecost. And so, we are the first to receive God's Holy Spirit. And so today we are the first fruits of the Spirit. The first that have received God's Holy Spirit. If you read in Romans chapter 8 verse 23, Romans chapter 8 verse 23, he's talking about, um, you know, that... Uh, starting in verse 14, that if you're led by God, you're children of God. And then it says, then in verse 16 and 17, therefore we are God's children and we are heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. And then he, further on, he says, 
what wonderful glory we'll have, nothing to be compared, and the whole creation expects for the revealing of the sons of God, uh, which is such an amazing hope. Uh, and then he goes on, for we know the whole creation groans, verse 22, Romans 8, the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, not only the creation, but we also who have, we have now the first fruits of the Spirit. You see, we have received God's Holy Spirit now. So we are the first few in the world that have received God's Holy Spirit. We know we're very few. Humanity in general, as, as you know, has not received God's Holy Spirit. They're not called. They're not chosen. They're not uh, obeying God's commandments. God gives His Spirit to those that obey Him. Uh, so, in, we read that in Acts 5. So, we are now the first fruits of the Spirit. So, because of that, Jesus Christ lives in us. Uh, and we have to have God's Holy Spirit working in us, sanctifying us unto obedience. We have to remain faithful till the end, because by the time Christ comes, we have to be called, chosen, and faithful. That's what we read in Revelation 17, verse 14. By the time Christ comes, we have to be faithful till the end, and then we'll be with him. So that's why in Revelation 17 and 18, which is an inset chapter, uh, it talks about the destruction of the false Christianity and the beast, that whole Babylonian system. But when Christ comes to destroy, we will be resurrected, we'll be with him, and we will then be with Christ when Christ destroys uh, the, the beast and the false prophet and those armies that surround Jerusalem at that time. So the point is that we have to be faithful till the end. We today are the first fruits of the Spirit. But if you and I are not faithful till the end, we will not be in the resurrection. So even though we are the first fruits of the Spirit, if we lose it, if we turn back, like he talks about that in, in Hebrews chapter 6, for instance, if we turn back, if we walk back, then we might lose it. We don't want to do that. We don't want to lose it. And so we have to remain faithful till the end. Then at the resurrection, at the resur resurrection, we will be changed to spirit beings. And then we will have been redeemed because we were sinners. We were redeemed, brought back from death by what Christ has done. We redeemed for God's service and resurrected in the first resurrection as spirit beings. So we'll be the first sinners, the first sinners redeemed to God and resurrected. And those are the ones that is uh, referred in Revelation 14, verse 4. Revelation 
14 verse 4. Revelation 14 verse 4. Just get to it and read it. It says, These are the ones who were not defiled with woman, for they are virgin. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These were redeemed from among men. In other words, we were sinners, but we redeemed. We brought back from death from among men. So we were the first redeemed. Those will be with Christ. Those that are Christ's at his coming, as we re read in First Corinthians a moment ago. And so redeemed from among men, being first fruits to God and to the Lamb. So in Romans 8, 23, today we are the first fruits of the Spirit. But we have to remain faithful till the end. And then at the resurrection, we will be the first fruits to God and to the Lamb that have been redeemed from among men. So it is a different use of the word first fruits. It's still the first. So we have Christ is the first human being that moved to the God family. We are the first to receive God's Holy Spirit. So the first fruits of the Spirit. And if you and I remain faithful till the end, at Christ's coming, at His coming, we will then be the first fruits of those redeemed to God and to the Lamb. You see, it's different uses of the same word with different meanings. And this is why sometimes people get confused. And that's why I spent a little bit of time explaining that because it is important for us to see that difference. So let's go on with um, First Corinthians. And now we uh, read uh, verse, uh, let's read verse 23 again. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterwards those we are Christ's, it was those that have been faithful, that have received God's Holy Spirit, and have been faithful till the end, at his coming, then they'll be the first sinners redeemed to God from among men and resurrected at his coming. And verse 24, then comes the end. The end. There'll be another resurrection later. Look at John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. It says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice. So again, every human being will resurrect all who are in the graves, good and bad, they all. And then he says, and will come forth. Those who have done good, well, no one has done good, we all have sinned, but we have repented, we've been washed, we have been forgiven, and so we've been justified, and therefore we've been declared good. In other words, God imputes no further sin because we believed, 
and therefore we are deemed as good to the res resurrection of life. That is, the first resurrection, which is a direct resurrection, which is a better resurrection, a direct resurrection to eternal life, to spirit beings. That's the first resurrection. Those that are Christ's at his coming, that's the same thing. Those that are Christ's at his coming, those will be the first fruits of man uh, redeemed from the earth. They were bought back. So that's the resurrection of life at Christ's coming. Right. And those who have done evil, now as I said, everybody's done evil, but their sins, they have not repented, their sins have not been washed away, so they're still in this to-be-judged classification. You and I are judged now. We're in the church, we're being judged now. But they will be judged later. So they will, those who have done evil, you know, was they have not been washed clean yet, they still unrepented, they still uh, need to go through the same process that we've gone, they will come to the resurrection of condemnation. Well, that's a bad translation because the word here is Greek 2920, which is like a, a judgment or a tribunal. A, a resurrection in which there'll be a judgment. And this is what we call the great white throne judgment, which is described in Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12. So if we turn to Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12, Revelation 20, verse 11 and 12, It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it. And we know Christ is going to judge. So the judgment belongs to Christ, is being delegated to Christ. For whose face the earth and heaven fled away, there was no, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. The dead resurrected. That's a resurrection. And the books were open. In other words, the Bible was open. And then they will be evaluated. They will have a time to repent. They will have a time to learn the truth. They will have a time to be baptized. They will have a time to uh, have hands laid on them. They will have a time to receive God's Holy Spirit. They will have a time to use God's Holy Spirit and overcome and overcome over a period of time and prove and overcome till the end, whatever the end is, till God decides, but probably for a period of a hundred years. And then at that time, another book was open, which is the book of life. And if they repent and they change, they will then be given eternal life, the book of life. And that's why it says the dead, those that now are resurrected, because he's talking about the dead, Small and great standing before God. So the dead, small and great standing before God. It was these people resurrected. It says, we're judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, which is in the Bible. It's the same standard. Nothing has changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So they'll be judged by the things written in the books. So if we go back 
to John chapter 5, verse 29, it says, you know, all will hear, all that are in the graves will hear his voice. Those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have not been cleansed yet, they have not been judged yet, they have not repented yet, so they still at that time declared have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, of the great white throne judgment. And so going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we just uh, finished reading verse 24, or rather let's read again verse 24, just making sure that we cover all the details here. Then comes the end, and when he, Christ, delivers the kingdom of God, the kingdom to God, I mean, pardon, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. So Christ has been given by the Father a huge mission, a huge mission. The mission given to Christ by God the Father is to create human beings, create physical things <coughs> so human beings can be tested and proven. And at the end of this, human beings will have an opportunity to be changed to spirit beings and indeed to be in the family of God. That is the project, the mission that was given to Christ to execute. And Christ is executing it, has executed, is executing it, and will execute it to the T, exactly according to the Father's instructions. And when he's finished, mission accomplished, it says, uh, yeah, in verse 24, when it finally comes the end, there's these resurrections, all this right at the end of everything, he delivers the kingdom to God the Father when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power. So all this evil authority and power that exists in the world today and exists in the spirit world through, Ad, uh, through, uh, I beg your pardon, through Satan and his demons. So all this evil that exists, all this power will be all submissive to God, to God. And verse 25, for he, Christ, must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. Christ has to reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Because death is an enemy. Because it's basically end of life. So that will be destroyed. So there will be life. For those that repent, God is doing everything possible. Because he wants everyone to come to repentance. The forbearance and the patience of God is that everyone, everyone will come to repentance. But some, regrettably, will reject it. But those that accept it, and he'll do everything to forgive them and help them with God's Holy Spirit. At the end of this, death will be overcome. 
and that will be the lost enemy. Look at verse 27. For he has put all things under his feet. In other words, he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. So, God the Father has put everything in responsibility, delegated everything to Christ. And, and Christ has this mission to do all this. And, and therefore, everything is under Christ. And that's why it says it is heaven that he who put all things under him. It was it is heaven that he, the Father, that has put all things under Christ, the Father is accepted because the Father delegated to Christ. So all things will be under Christ. But, that, but of course, the Father is not under Christ. Verse 28. Now, when all things are made subject to him, when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him. So on all things, because Christ has put everything to be subject to the Father. And the Christ, but subject to the Father. So everything that will be subject to the Father, then the Son himself will also be subject to God the Father, who put all things under Christ's authority, that God may be all in all. Jesus Christ will be ultimately subject to the Father. The Father has greater authority. The human race then will be elevated from human to the family of God. Every human being in the family of God will have God's nature, will have divine nature, will follow God's way of life, will have God's mind, Christ's mind, God's way of thinking. And therefore, God will be all in all, because all will be like God. And that is what Christ prayed in John 17. I pray that, that all may be one, just like we are one all being perfect in unity that is the ultimate goal and so this is an amazing plan uh, an amazing objective that we all have but it, it is vital for us to understand the importance of the resurrection because the resurrection is the key that this is possible that every man will be resurrected there is a resurrection resurrection is key the hope of the resurrection is our hope is the hope that we have it is so important for us to understand the hope of the resurrection now paul now talks about in verse 29 
and starts talking about there, verse 29, is a, a subject that is clearly related to this hope of the resurrection because all along here yeah, in the context, Paul is talking about the hope of the resurrection. So verse 29 is where we'll continue at the next study.